Open the precious Word of God to 1 Samuel chapter 5. 1 Samuel chapter 5. We just sang pure in heart, which is what Israel needed to be in 1 Samuel 4, rather than presuming that the presence of the Ark of the Covenant of God would give them a military victory. We are learning about being pure in heart from a pure portion of Scripture. If you think that 1 Samuel 5 and 6 are not very pure, they're as pure as John 17. Every word of God is pure. And it's given for our instruction. And these people were the church of God under the old covenant. And so they give us an example that we will not follow them, but that we will be different. And that we will realize the full rest that God has prepared for His people by obedience. The situation that we left in the first assembly is that Israel had a first small battle with the Philistines and lost 4,000 men. Reflecting on that loss and knowing that God had deserted them, they took the Ark of the Covenant into battle with them the second time, thinking that that would bring God's blessing. So they were relying on outward performance, outward religious performance, rather than examining their hearts and correcting the faults they had in their personal and private lives. It didn't do them any good, though they shouted with a great shout and the earth echoed, and though the Philistines were somewhat intimidated by knowing that the Ark of the Covenant was being taken into a battle for the first time, they lost 30,000 men. They lost the two priests that accompanied the ark. They lost the high priest, Eli, that was the father of the two priests. And they lost the ark. And as the wife of one of those priests was giving birth by hard labor, she named her son Ichabod, that the glory had departed from Israel. In that the symbol of God's glory had been taken captive by the Philistines, the Ark of the Covenant. And his blessing and his presence had obviously forsaken the nation because they were just defeated so severely by the Philistines. And so the Philistines took the Ark of the Covenant. They have it in their possession. There's 34,000 less Israelites. There's a little boy named Ichabod who has neither father nor mother. And his name describes the situation. And that name, Ichabod, the glory hath departed, will describe us, will describe you individually. It will describe your marriage. It will describe your family. And it will describe whatever church you're in. If there isn't a serious, sober, diligent, zealous, vigilant effort for personal righteousness and obedience, God will take His glory away from you and leave you lean in your soul. No fat. Fat is a wonderful thing. Fat is where all the flavor is in a piece of meat. And you, He will send leanness into your soul even if He gives you fatness professionally or in some other way. 
And we don't want that. We want God's presence with us, increasing us more and more, we and our children, as Psalm 115 told us, and that's several times now that I've reminded you of that, because I don't want you to forget it. These are the pure words of God. I love them. And I love the God of heaven. I love His sense of humor. I love His power. I love His judgment. I love His jealousy. That when a nation, and He has no regard for the nations, He says in Psalm 9 and verse 16, All the nations that forget God shall be turned into hell. That's the Bible. And this is a nation He's going to turn into hell in their hinder parts. Because they're taking His Ark of the Covenant and presuming that their God, Dagon, is a peer or a conqueror of Jehovah. Here we go. Verse 1. The Philistines took the Ark of God and brought it from Ebenezer unto Ashdod. When the Philistines took the Ark of God, they brought it into the house of Dagon and set it by Dagon. I have a picture of Dagon the best that historians are able to derive from drawings of that era, up here on the table, Dagon was a fish god. If you were to look at a map, which is also up here on the table, and in the back of your Bibles, Philistia, or the country of the Philistines, was a very narrow strip of land that bordered the Mediterranean Sea. It separated Judah and the tribes of Israel in some places from the Mediterranean Just a small strip of sea. The sea was very important to their livelihood. Fish were important to them. So Dagon was the fish god. The bottom half of his body was a fish tail. The top half of his body was the body of a man with two arms and a head. And this is Dagon, the the god of the Philistines. It was in a temple of Dagon in Judges chapter 16 where Samson spent his last hours, and then pulled that temple down. And there were 3,000 sitting on the roof that were destroyed that day by Samson, our brother, who's in the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, though squandering much of his life with Philistine prostitutes. 1 Samuel 5. There's a God in heaven that we worship, and he delights in this kind of thing. He did it often. This is not exceptional in the Bible. It's just different in kind. He is jealous with a capital J, the Bible tells us. And when these pagan idolaters who had fashioned a god out of some material that was half man and half fish put his ark next to it thinking, here is a sacrifice to Dagon, or Dagon won the victory over the Israelites Our God, our God Jehovah, I am that I am, the Almighty God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is offended. And Psalm 78 and verse 65 said, He came too like a man coming out of sleep, or like a mighty man under the influence of wine who speaks louder. And all of his motions are exaggerated. God was angry that the Philistines thought that they had done something good, and that their god, Dagon, was actually a god. And they had his Ark of the Covenant. And they had not returned it to its rightful owners and to its rightful place. He is going to help them come to that conclusion that they ought to get it back to its owners and its rightful place. It says in verse 3 of the 5th chapter, 
And when they of Ashdod arose early on the morrow, behold, Dagon was fallen upon his face to the earth before the ark of the Lord. When they got up in the morning and went into the temple of Dagon, there's that fish god laying down, worshiping the ark of the covenant, which represented Jehovah of the Hebrews. Praise God. Don't you love that story? Children ought to be taught that. So that when they're reading history books, or they're, they're seeing what other religions there are in the world, this is what God thinks of all their ridiculous idols. As we read in Psalm 115. So they took Dagon and set him in his place again. Now why'd they have to sit him in his place again when he's got that wonderful tail? He should have been able to swim back to his place. He's a God after all. Isn't this what Elijah would say to us? Amen. Isn't this what John the Baptist would say to us? Right. Isn't this what the Lord Jesus would say to us? Amen. Isn't this what Paul would say to us? Right. I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. Right. Ye educated intellectuals of Athens. Right. For when I passed... And you know what it says. As soon as he arrived in Athens, his spirit was stirred within him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. And it ought to provoke us when we think of idolatry. But this is how God deals with idolaters. There are many wonderful passages in Scripture, like Psalm 115 that we read. My favorite happens to be Psalm 44, Isaiah 44, verses 9 through 20, where the idolater has a tree. And he uses a third of it to heat himself. He cuts one third of it up, puts it in a fire, and it says he stands there and says, Ah, the fire. Then he takes another third and bakes some bread to eat because he's famished and he needs some strength. The remaining third, he carves into a god, falls down before it and worships it and asks it to deliver him. The Lord says they have a lie in their right hand and they can't let go. That is our God and you should be thankful that he has said, let go to you and to your parents. The vast majority of you so that you believe the truth of the Bible. That he has said, let go and freed us. And we are bound to give thanks always to God for that great deliverance from the strong delusion that he sends upon others. They took Dagon. If you have to lift your God up and put him back in his place, he's no God. Our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. Now, brethren... I wanted to spend a lot of time on Psalm 115, but you know to pack everything that we want to into our two assemblies. I can't, but let me go back for just a minute. Do you know that when our God created, when He created eyes, do they see? Do an elephant's eyes see? Can an eagle's eyes see a field mouse at a quarter of a mile in altitude? Absolutely. Perfectly. So when He makes eyes... They see. When he makes ears, they hear. Can God's animals hear well? They have noses. Can they smell? Not only can they smell, but an elephant's nose has two fingers to pick up peanuts you throw to it. Do you know why I want to remind you of all those things? Because when they make a God and they make a nose, it doesn't smell. But our God has made all kinds of noses and they all smell. And all kinds of ears. The big ears of an elephant. The extended neck of a giraffe. All those wonderful things. Our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever He hath pleased. He's made all kinds of all types. And they all work. Amen. 
How many times does a lion have to go to the gym to work on its vertical jump? The vertical jump is the number one measure of an athlete. The explosive power in the largest muscles of the body, the legs. How many times does a cat have to go work out? A cat's the laziest animal you've ever laid eyes on, Esther. The laziest animal. They never work out. All they do is stretch and yawn and lick themselves and eat their little kitty chow. But when they want to leap from the floor to the top of your refrigerator, can they do it? Is their vertical jump decent for the body size? Is it, who made that? They have legs, but they move not. The Lord says about pagan idols, but the Lord puts legs on a little kitty and it can leap to your sofa. It can leap to the top of your refrigerator. Measure that as a percentage of height compared to Michael Jordan's 42 inches. Oh, how pitiful. The guy is six feet, eight inches tall, and he can only jump. That's a lot of inches that he is tall, but he can only jump 42. That little kitty's only four inches tall, but it can jump 42. I'm sorry, I just had to go back to Psalm 115. Because, that's verse 3, Our God is in the heavens, He hath done whatsoever He hath pleased. He's pulled the pants down on the baboon and left him that way for life. Right? Right. But they, when they make their idols, trying to make their God, though they fashion the the parts, they never work. And every one of God's parts works. And He's done it the way He wanted to. What a difference between their religion and our religion. Praise God. Okay, they put Dagon back in his place in verse 3. Verse 4, And when they arose early on the morrow morning, behold, Dagon was fallen upon his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord, and the head of Dagon and both the palms of his hands were cut off upon the threshold. Only the stump of Dagon was left to him. His head, He was beheaded during the night. His hands were cut off during the night, and the stump of his fishtail is there, and he's been cut off from the God of Israel. Now it affected the Philistines this time. Therefore neither the priests of Dagon nor any that come into Dagon's house tread on the threshold of Dagon and Ashdod unto this day. There was a new policy and a sign put up don't anyone step on the threshold of this God because they knew, what, did, what is it called in the Bible? When the finger of God had been there two nights in a row. Yep. And so whenever, whoever it was that penned these words until the time they penned First Samuel, until that time in the particular temple of Dagon in the city of Ashdod of the Philistine nation, they did not go on the threshold where the head and the hands The working parts of Dagon had been found after God cut them off. Now this is not all he did. This is what he did symbolically to their religion. But then he wanted to do something to them personally. Verse 6, But the hand of the Lord, the hand of the Lord, when he reaches forth his right hand, he can lift you up out of the miry clay and set you on a rock. But he can reach forth with that right hand and press you down into the miry clay. And the difference is obedience. As our brother Ed read from Isaiah chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, if you obey, you'll eat the good of the land. If you disobey, I'll destroy you. He's fair. He's fair in those. He's the creator. He's the potter, and we are the clay. For him to tell us if and if is very fair. It's very kind that he would even tell us what we can do 
to have His blessing and favor in our lives. The hand of the Lord was heavy upon them of Ashdod, and He destroyed them. Men are dying, women are dying, children are dying, right and left. And the ones that are living, He smote them with emeralds, even Ashdod and the coast thereof, the suburb cities of Ashdod. The nation of the Philistines had five capital cities, and the Bible tells us that several times. Ekron, Gath, Gaza, this Ashdod, and Ashkelon. There's five capital cities, and that's why we're going to end up with five a couple times, because there were five lords, five presidents, five capital cities of five regions of the Philistine nation. This particular region, which got the Ark of the Covenant first, is Ashdod, and in its coasts, in its suburbs, and in its little villages, they were struck heavy with emeralds. Emeralds is just an old English word for hemorrhoids. And when God gives hemorrhoids, they're not little tiny ones that don't bother you. They're great big piles of torturous veins that proceed out of your body or are in your body, and they itch and burn and are terrible. It's a terrible punishment, and it's in your hiney. It's in your hinder parts. Psalm 78, verse 66. Every word of God is pure. I love the God of the Bible that would do such things. And I wish I'd have got a flannel graph lesson of this when I was about seven years old. I got flannel graph lessons of everything else in the Bible. Why not 1 Samuel chapter 5? I didn't even know what a hemorrhoid was till I was 35 probably. Had to look it up. I didn't know it by personal experience yet. There's a picture of it over here. But that's what the Lord sent. You know, Miriam one time spoke against Moses. What happened to Miriam? Where? Where did leprosy rise up while she stood there? Right in her face. What is leprosy? It's a disease that consumes the flesh of your body. And it rose right up in her face as she stood there having picked on her brother Moses. What happened to King Uzzah? Uzziah, when he thought he would go in and offer incense before the Lord, the leprosy rose up into him. These examples are throughout the Bible. We are His creatures, we are the clay, and He is the potter, and He can do with us as He will, and He will do with us as He pleases. And it is our purpose to come into His house to worship Him for the great God that He is and to purpose in our hearts that we are going to obey Him and have His hand reaching out to help us and to lift us up. You can be, you can be falling in an ocean where you are so weak in faith that all you can see is the waves and the winds boisterous and you can cry out, Lord save me, and a right hand will pick you up. You can set the Ark of the Covenant next to Dagon and he'll give you emeralds. And so he destroyed the people and he smote them with emeralds, even Ashdod and the coast thereof. Verse seven, when the men of Ashdod saw that it was so, They said, The ark of the God of Israel shall not abide with us, for his hand is sore upon us and upon Dagon our God. God made it clear enough that there was a problem to these pagan idolaters, and it was having that ark, and the men of Ashdod didn't want it anymore. So they called together the five lords of the Philistines and say, What are we going to do with this thing? We don't want it in our city. It made a nice exhibit for a couple of days, but it cost us our God, Dagon. We had to put him back one time. The second time, we couldn't put him back because he was cut in pieces. Now we've all got emeralds, they said. There's no more preparation. H in the nation, we're in serious trouble. What do we do? And so they got together and they said, let it be carried around. And so let's send it to Gath. 
And so they sent the Ark of the Covenant to Gath. Now, my brethren, Goliath was in the third grade. Now, Goliath had a big hiney. And God gave him a pile of torturous veins that you would not believe. Now, I am adding something to Scripture. All you have to do is keep reading through 1 Samuel to figure out how old Goliath was. Just keep reading. He was in the third grade. So when he would come out every day and taunt the armies of Israel and their God, you got to understand why. He has horrible memories from the third grade. When he went down to that school nurse and she said, bend over, she'd never seen anything like that in her life. And I praise the God of heaven. Amen. Gath. Goliath the Gittite. What does Gittite mean? A citizen of the city of Gath. Goliath of Gath. So Gath is in trouble. It was so, verse 9, that after they carried it about, the hand of the Lord was against the city with a very great destruction. And he smote the men of the city, both small and great, and they had emeralds in their secret parts. We have an expression where the sun don't shine. And that's because it's a secret part. You cover it up with your clothes. But it was in that secret part. It's the hinder parts from Psalm 78 and verse 66 where God smote them, the God of heaven, Jehovah, I am that I am, from the burning bush who spoke to Moses, the holy and pure God, the thrice holy God that is praised by the cherubim when men want to worship an idol and they think that they have a right to take his Ark of the Covenant and put it in the house of Dagon, their fish god. This is what happens. This is what happens. He is jealous for His great namesake. So that we as His worshipers, we start out with Psalm 115 by saying, Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us give glory, but unto Thy great name for Thy great mercy and Thy great truth's sake. Because we want to be the opposite of those who presume on Jehovah. He he struck them with hemorrhoids, hemorrhoids in their secret parts. It was interesting. I'm thankful. Sometimes I'm disappointed. Many times I'm disappointed. But I'm thankful for some old-fashioned commentators who don't like to get too specific and too graphic. But they like to point out that in the last four words of that ninth verse, in their secret parts, they said they enjoyed the fact that these hemorrhoids were internal hemorrhoids where you couldn't get any treatment to them. And you just had to suffer and live with the pain for as long as they were there. See, when they're on the outside, and there's two kinds that Jonathan or any of you other RNs should jump up and take over for me. But when they're on the inside, you can't get to them to apply treatments. When they're on the outside, you can apply creams and other things to try to relieve yourself a little bit. But I enjoy commentators who are really getting in to the God of Israel, doing it to the Philistines on the inside where they couldn't deal with them because of the prepositional phrase, in their secret parts. I wouldn't care where they are. Both both would qualify for the expression because that is your secret part and they were in a place that's secret that you don't show anyone. Now Gath is in trouble. The hometown of Goliath. Therefore, verse 10, they sent the ark of God to Ekron. Now the Gittites didn't want it. First of all, Ashdod got rid of it to Gath. Now Gath wants to get rid of it to Ekron. And it came to pass as the ark of God came to Ekron that the Ekronites cried out saying they have brought about the ark of the God of Israel to us to slay us and our people. They didn't even want it to enter their city gates. So they sent and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, 
Send away the ark of the God of Israel and let it go again to his own place that it slay us not and our people. For there was a deadly destruction throughout all the city. The hand of God was very heavy there. And the men that died not were smitten with the emeralds, And the cry of the city went up to heaven. Many men died. Deadly destruction may be carried by the mice that we haven't even read about yet, but that we're going to read about, that there were mice infecting and overrunning the land. Many men died, and the ones that survived had these terrible hemorrhoids in their secret parts, and the hand of God was heavy upon them, and the cry of the city went up to heaven. God saw and heard that they were finally humbled to the ground and did not want His Ark of the Covenant. And so they gathered their elders together and said, what do we do with it? And their conclusion was, let's get rid of it and send it back to where it belongs. First Samuel chapter 6. This was a horrible, ignorant presumption on the part of the Philistines to take that ark. And they should have learned the lesson in the, in the first 24 hours when Dagon fell down and worshipped it. But now they have a worshipful solution. Their ignorant presumption in the fifth chapter turns into their worshipful solution in the sixth chapter. They called for their priests and diviners. And I want to remind you that the God of heaven can make Balaam's ass speak and something more difficult, he can get Caiaphas to prophesy about Jesus Christ dying for his people in John chapter 11, verses 49 through 52. He got some pretty good things out of Nebuchadnezzar, didn't he? At the end of Daniel chapter 4. And these diviners are being asked by the Philistines, whose cry has come up to heaven, let us send this back to Israel. How do we send it back? And their diviners say this. Verse 3, If ye send away the ark of the God of Israel, send it not empty. Who told them that? The God of heaven did. Don't you send that thing back empty because you have killed 34,000 of their men and you have taken their Ark of the Covenant that belongs in their tabernacle in Shiloh and you have put it in your temple that belongs to Dagon. You will in any wise return him a trespass offering because you've trespassed on something that is not yours. Do you love this? This is the God of heaven giving those diviners of the Philistine nation, some inside information. Then ye shall be healed, and it shall be known to you why his hand is not removed from you. Then said they, What shall be the trespass offering which we shall return to him? 120 oxen. A thousand sheep. Isn't that the big offerings that Solomon or David would throw from time to time? Couldn't they have sent enough wheat to, for the Israelites to eat for a year? No, that's not good enough. Not for the jealous God of heaven, because you have messed with Him. He is going to humble you to the ground because... Now, they're going to tell you why in a second. Do you want to give glory to God? Then you will love 1 Samuel 4-6. through 6. Because it's here, and those diviners came up with this solution to give glory to God to put themselves under a perpetual reproach. As Psalm 78, verse 66 says, God smote them in their hinder parts and put them to a perpetual reproach. Reproach means 
a state or position of ridicule. What does perpetual mean? Forever. How is the verse fulfilled? By me preaching and you hearing it today. They're under a perpetual reproach. What shall be the trespass offering in verse 4? They answered. Who answered? The diviners, the prophets, the seers, the religious leaders of this pagan nation said, five golden emeralds and five golden mice, according to the number of the lords of the Philistines, for one plague was on you all and on your lords. Every one of the five lords, the five presidents of the five cities, sections, provinces of Philistia had to send a golden hemorrhoid. For those of you that know anything about hemorrhoids, how do you make a golden one of them? Who was the model? Do you know what kind of humility it is? This is wonderful truth from the Bible. This is the God of heaven vindicating himself and punishing a nation that took his ark and trespassed against him and his people. 34,000 Israelites died. And even though they were sinful, God does not appreciate the rod that He uses to chasten His own people. And when they get an arrogant attitude about it, He then punishes them. And right now He's punishing them, the Philistines. Verse 5, Wherefore ye shall make images of your hemorrhoids and images of your mice that mar the land, and ye shall give glory unto the God of Israel. You say, how does that give Him glory? It's wonderful glory. It's wonderful glory. These people that want to put up a, a fish god and worship him and attack Jehovah, I am that I am, are going to give him glory by making a sacrifice of gold that they're going to return to Israel that Israel can look at and laugh at and look at and laugh at for a long time of what their God did to those pagan idolaters of Philistia. Give glory to them. Ye shall give glory unto the God of Israel by humbling yourself down and admitting what the God of heaven was able to do to you and actually did do to you. Peradventure he will lighten his hand from off you and from off your gods and from off your land. The mice were overrunning the land and destroying their agricultural livelihood. He had knocked Dagon down twice and then cut his head and his hands off. And his hand was upon them in their secret parts. Verse 6, notice their wisdom. Wherefore then do ye harden your hearts? What's taking you so long? Get to it immediately. Get to this task. Wherefore then do ye harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh hardened their hearts when he had wrought wonderfully among them? Did they not let the people go and they departed? Don't you be like Pharaoh was and need ten plagues. Get it over with up front. Be faster learners than Pharaoh was. They eventually left and left Egypt alone. If you don't hurry up and do this, there's going to be worse trouble coming. And then they create this little way that we can prove that it wasn't chance. I'll read to you verse, the last part of verse 9. We shall know that it is not His hand that smote us, it was a chance that happened to us. Now there's no chance event in Dagon falling over and worshiping, then Dagon having his head and his hands cut off, and then everybody getting emeralds, many people dying, and as soon as the Ark of the Covenant goes to a new city, it happens to the new city, and then when it goes to a third city, it happens to the third city. You should be able to figure out that it's not chance, and they knew that it wasn't chance. But the diviners are just saying, in order to prove it to you, 
Here's what you should do with your little coffer of gold that has your jewels in it. The five golden hemorrhoids and the five golden mice. Get yourself two milk cows. Milk cows are cows that are nursing calves. Get yourself two milk cows that want to be with their calves. Because any woman that's ever nursed knows that if you're not nursed every few hours, it's quite painful, and it's the same with the udder of a cow. A cow is a female cattle. Two cows, get two of them that have never been put in a yoke. They're not used to pulling a cart. And take their calves away from them and put them in the barn at home. And take those two milk cows and tie them to a cart and put the Ark of the Covenant on it and put your coffer with the jewels. Precious jewels. And see what happens. If the cart goes to Beth Shemesh, you will know that the Lord is taking back His ark. Two cows that have never been yoked are not going to be happy in a yoke tied to a cart. Two cows being taken away from their calves are going to want to follow their calves because that's where they're supposed to be with their calves. But what did these two cows do? Exactly what the Philistine diviners told Philistia they would do. They went straight, straightway to Beth Shemesh. Verse 12, and the kine, that's a plural number of cows. The kine took the straight way to the way of Beth Shemesh and went along the highway, lowing as they went, and turned not aside to the right hand or to the left. And the lords of the Philistines are following behind with their binoculars watching this to see what was happening, to see if they could save their nation from the hemorrhoids and the mice and the death and the destruction, and the heavy hand of God upon them. And here's these two cows. They've never been attached to a yoke before. They miss their calves. Their udders are bloating. But they're mooing all the way along, straightway to Beth Shemesh. Now watch. This, this is a little part that I had overlooked, in my at least or my memory had forgotten it. Verse 13 tells us, They of Beth Shemesh were reaping their wheat harvest in the valley, and they lifted up their eyes and saw the ark and rejoiced to see it. And the cart came into the field of Joshua, a Beth Shemite, and stood there, where there was a great stone. (laughs) These two cows pulled this ark a long way, quite a ways, to Beth Shemesh, went into a particular field where there was a very large rock and pulled the cart all the way up to it and stopped. What did Israel need a large rock for? For an altar to offer a sacrifice. So the Levites that lived in there, Beth Shemesh was one of the cities of refuge and had Levites and priests there on a regular basis. They came out and offered a sacrifice. They took the little cart and they took the two... Milk kind and had an offering right there of the kind to the Lord. And they took the ark and put it on the rock, and they took the coffer of jewels and put it on the rock, and they offered sacrifices to the Lord. And the five lords, the Philistines, in verse 16, saw it and returned to Ekron the same day. And there's the five cities of the Philistines and why there were golden emeralds for each of them, Ashdod, Geza, Ascalon, Gath, and Ekron. And then the golden mice five of them, as we learn back in verse 4, for those five cities. There's the God of Israel. I I hope you give Him glory in your heart. 
That is a magnificent way to treat your enemies. What an unusual, creative way to, to convince them that they ought to send the Ark of the Covenant home. You didn't send a prophet. There wasn't a letter from anyone in Israel asking for it back. The Lord just helped them see it His way and get it back to His people. Now we have a lesson to learn. So far, the men of, the men of Beth Shemesh are righteous. They rejoiced to see the ark. They offered sacrifices. They pulled the ark out and put it on a rock. They pulled the coffer of gold off the cart and put it on the rock. They broke up, they burned up the cart. They used the two Philistine kine and they offered sacrifices to the Lord. They're feeling good. And this is our second main lesson for the day. The first was in chapter four. When things are going bad, don't think that you can make things better by just upping your outward performance. If things are going bad, the only way you can make them better is to repent and please God with righteousness from the heart. A broken heart and a contrite spirit God will never despise. He will bless that. They failed. They took the Ark of the Covenant into battle and they lost 30,000 more men, two priests, Eli, a mother, and the ark. There's another situation that can arise. God begins to bless you and favor you in your life. Good things happen to you. When good things happen to you, that does not allow you any license that you can live any differently than anyone else that the Bible addresses. It does not give you the liberty of innovation. It does not give you the liberty of freedom to get away with things. Look what it tells us. He, the Lord God of heaven, smote the men of Beth Shemesh. This is His own people, His church of the Old Testament, because they had looked into the ark of the Lord. Even He smote of the people 50,000 and threescore and ten men. And the people lamented because the Lord had smitten many of the people with a great slaughter. They had the Ark of the Covenant. They had never seen it before because it had always been in the Holy of Holies of the tabernacle in Shiloh. Now it is there. It is in their town. It is on this rock of Abel in the field of Joshua, the Bethshemite. And they think that they're going to take a peek inside of what's in the ark. You already know what's in the ark, and they knew what was in the ark because the Bible told them what was in the ark. But they wanted to look inside it. And who knows, they may have had a circus of the local cities and towns and villages coming to take a look into the ark of the covenant that was in the possession of Beth Shemesh. And God kills 50,000 and 70 of them. Listen, we started out with 34,000 dead, Now we have 50,070 dead. The first error they made was they thought that outward performance or ceremony of religion or a symbol of religion could cover their wickedness. Now they think because God has blessed them with the recovery of the ark, they can take a little liberty. Success does not give you any more liberty. Success does not 
mean that any verse of Scripture is not as much yours as it was before. The Word of God still applies as strictly as it ever did, no matter how much favor God puts on you. What happened to King Isaiah? Why did King Isaiah want to go in there and offer incense to God? Do you remember? Do I need to turn you there, or will you remember it with me? King Isaiah. Why, when the priest tried to stop him from entering the temple of Solomon, would he not be stopped? Why did he think that he had impunity? And that though God had killed Nadab and Abihu for offering strange fire, he could go offer strange fire. Why did he think so? Because God had blessed him abundantly and his heart was lifted up in the blessing. The Bible tells us that. King Isaiah, he got overconfident because of God's blessing that he could do something that was forbidden by the Word of God. It's 2 Chronicles 26 and verse 16. And it's an important lesson for us to learn. When God blesses us, we still must fall on our knees and search our hearts and examine ourselves to see if there is any wicked way in us. David said that in Psalm 139, when he was walking with God and as close with God as he could be. That's when he's talking about, search me, O God, and see if there be any wicked way in me. Just because God blesses us, it doesn't give us liberty. We are still bound to Scripture, and they had no right to look in the Ark of the Covenant. I don't know if anyone here has ever seen the movie Raiders of the Lost Ark with Harrison Ford. Rachel Rachel was less than one year old, and Sherry and I went to the first movie we ever went to see. I'm going to tell a story about myself. For those of you who have seen the Raiders of the Lost Ark, yes, this Ark. It's a typical Harrison Ford adventure until it gets to the end when men open the lid of the Ark of the Covenant and they use the best effects that they could can to try to present the power of a divine being coming out of that box and destroying everyone around it. I got up and walked out at that point because their effects were not good enough for my God. And I was convicted by the Holy Spirit and torn down so badly. East Liberty Street, Ann Arbor, Michigan, 20 years old. They don't have any idea of who they were trying to represent with their effects. That was Jehovah God's box in reality when it was in the Bible. And it was one, it's a representation of Jehovah These people opened that box and 50,000 and 70 of them died though they were His people, though they were His church. And the lesson is, when God has blessed and you see something good, a promotion, a child, the deliverance from a disease, whatever it might be, a spouse that you wanted, don't you take liberties with God and let down your guard and think that you can live any differently? Don't you think that God is approving you because you're special? The only way that God can approve you in a practical way is for you to be living a holy and righteous life. Right. And the men of Beth Shemesh said, said, Who is able to stand before this holy God? They were. Anyone was. Just to follow His commandments. Who is able to stand before this holy Lord God? And to whom shall he go up from us? And brethren, look at what they did. Here is the lesson. 
instead of submitting to God's word and repenting for what they had done, they got rid of the ark. Instead of examining themselves and realizing, we presumed, we presumed as badly or worse than the Philistines did by looking in the ark, they just got rid of the ark to save them. And they sent messengers to the inhabitants of kerjath Jerem, saying, The Philistines have brought again the ark of the Lord. Come ye down and fetch it up to you. We don't even want to touch it. We don't want to transport it. You come and get it. When God blesses you, you make sure that... Do you know what the Bible says? The goodness of God should lead you to repentance. The goodness of God is a blessing for you to give praise to Him for Him being kind to you when you don't deserve it. You've never deserved a blessing that God gave you. Every blessing that He's given to you is by pure grace. Thank Him and praise Him for it and make sure you keep on living as righteously as you were. The Bible tells us that Jeshurun, a nickname for Israel, waxed fat and it was when they were fat they kicked in rebellion. Don't let God's blessing alter your worship of Him. Don't let trouble cause you to think that by increasing your public performance you can be saved. And don't let blessing cause you to relax your private performance. But keep up your righteousness and don't modify the Word of God. God the Holy Spirit inspired all three of these chapters for God's glory and your profit. Appreciate them. If you think the material isn't spiritual enough for you, you aren't spiritual enough for it. Authority carries responsibility with it. Eli did not discharge his fatherly authority, and it cost him dearly. And some of that cost is right here in these chapters. Every man must bear his own burden. Verbal rebukes are not enough when you have a son that needs to be physically restrained. Action is what counts. And Eli grieved for Israel, but he did little to stop their foolish plan with the ark. The ordinances of the Bible do not carry residual value for the rebellious. The ark did not save Israel, but it cost them. This is Jeremiah 7 that we had read to us today. The temple of the Lord. The temple of the Lord. The temple of the Lord are these. Baptism is a noble and a good thing. But baptism is not something you ever want to do to think that baptism by itself will please God. Baptism is just a symbol of you burying your old man to rise to walk in newness of life. It is only a symbol of the reality of you living a resurrected life. The resurrected life is far more important than the symbolic representation of it. Don't think that baptism makes you better with God. It's the righteous life that baptism symbolizes that makes you better with God. Don't think that your attendance here means anything with God. It's what kind of a righteous life are you bringing into this assembly? that's been lived the other 164 hours in a week. Bible reading or religious conduct will not save you from God's holy judgment. We live in a generation that has a form of godliness, but they deny its power. Let us not be like them. God seeks godly repentance and humility. You know, in James chapter 4, in James chapter 4, it says, Draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to thee. Do you know what it's, do you know what it doesn't say in the verses that follow? It doesn't say go to church. It doesn't say go get baptized. It doesn't say go have the Lord's Supper. It says turn your laughter into mourning. Cleanse your hands and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Notice, to walk with God and to have God blessing you 
is a religion on the inside. And it's a religion of our practical, personal lives, of us cleaning up the things that we are doing, the things that we are saying, and the things that we are thinking, and then God will draw nigh to us. And that is how you draw nigh to Him. It's not coming to church. It's not an offering. It's not baptism. It's not the Lord's Supper. It's the reality of a holy and a righteous life. Humility is essential, as the Philistines learned. Our God is humorous, as you've learned. He's a God of judgment. He destroyed Eli's family in its entirety, the Philistines and the fools of Beth Shemesh. We're worshiping a holy God, and He's righteous and just, perfect and pure in all that He does. We have never received for our sins what we deserve. No man has. Blessing or God's favor or improving circumstances do not justify any license. The men of Beth Shemesh were fools to think so. The range of the material in the Bible is wonderful. I hope it has blessed you this day. I hope you'll understand how I say this. The next 164 hours until we assemble again on the Lord's Day is more important worship than what we will give Him in 164 hours if we live that long. Don't put your trust in this church. Don't put your trust in the doctrine of this church. Don't put your trust in the Bible of this church, the pastor of this church, your believing parents, any of its ordinances. Put your trust in humbling yourself before God to every one of His commandments and precepts and doing them. And God will bless you and increase you more and more, you and your children and this church as a result of every one of us doing this, having our families blessed, and then the whole body blessed. May the Lord bless all these scriptures that we have covered this day and the lessons of them to your lives and to His glory and to the profit of this church. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.